flying by. I can't believe we're already on the 10. Right back at it with another guest. Craig, I'm going to let you introduce him. All right, man. This is cool because it's a cool moment. This is one of my former Say No Classic teammates. Uh, <laughs> uh, from Los Angeles, California, this guy, all right, from Lawndale, California, inside Los Angeles, California, out of Luzinger High School, obviously via South Kent in Connecticut. Um, welcome, Darrell Wright, who is also a 12-year NBA vet and a 2006 NBA champion. Please welcome Darrell Wright to the show. What's hey, up? Hey, I appreciate that, fellas. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me, man. I think this is super dope, so thank you for having me. Uh, no, no problem, man. We appreciate you, man. This, this is really cool, man. And I know we're going to get to dive in it because I, I know you got, you know, some big knowledge for us. So we're just going to get right into it. Okay. No, this, this was my teammate too. This is one of the, this is one of the pros. We played in the Drew League together. This is one of the first like pros to kind of like embrace me outside of, you know what I'm saying? My little stay that I had in the NBA. So I'm excited about this one. We're going to jump into some, you know what I'm saying, into everything and, you know what I'm saying, open up this platform for you. Yeah, sorry, right. Mike. My guy. No bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about something. We're going to talk about that after the joint. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to get into your upbringing, like, you know, your household, um, just how it was for you, you know what I'm saying? Growing up as a shorty, you know what I'm saying? Where you got your love for the game and all of that, you know what I'm saying? You could dive into that for us. Yeah, man. So I, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles, um, right across the street from uh, Southwest College off Imperial and Western. So that's basically where I grew up at. Went to elementary, went to middle school and high school before I went all the way over to uh, Lawndale, which isn't too far as like the next city over. I grew up with my mom and dad. Um, blue collar people. My mom worked for LAPD for what 30, 30 years. My dad is a, a head carpenter at Macy's. He's a handyman. He could build anything. Uh, I and the sad thing, and my wife always clowned me about this. I I didn't pick up not one of those traits from him. So she'd be upset that we got to call people and, and and pay people to do stuff I should be able to do. So I'm just gonna throw that out there. But yeah, yeah man, that's that's where I grew up at. Um, Mom and dad was super tough on me just because of our gang culture, uh, getting caught up in the streets and just basically going the wrong way. So they did an outstanding job with, uh, you know, putting a little fear into me about the consequences and I, also how they disciplined me and, you know, things I couldn't do if I, you know, went the wrong way. So that kind of kept me in a straight line. They also kept me in three different sports. So I was a baseball player growing up and uh, they were basically shaping me and grooming me to be a, a, a professional baseball player because I was actually a better baseball player than basketball player. Uh, but that, that's basically what how my parents, you know, raised me to be a baseball player, uh, be respectful, and, you know, just, you know, be me, man. Not try to be no follower. So uh, I, I owe a lot of, you know, the, my success to my parents because they did a great job with making me have that tunnel vision. Okay, there is stories that go around about you and your little brother and in, in the batting cages okay <laughs> there's 
stories about how real it was like you guys were, were really good like it just wasn't like a joke like y'all really put in hard work hours so i just want to let you know i know them stories too okay you know yeah saying? man like we those are that work stories. in no facts man and, you know if you, anybody know where southwest college is right there was a batting cage so any quarter any dollar i found i ran up there with my bat i got me some hacks in but that was something I really thought I was going to be, you know, a professional baseball player because I love the game um, and I was having so much success in it, you know, being an inner city kid as well. So I had so much fun and Delon, Delon as well. You know, they say something about like uh, athletes who like do like cross training in other sports. Like, what do you feel like, you know, playing baseball, like what kind of instincts did that help you pick up on when you was able to pick up on, you know what I'm saying? When you was able to like really get that basketball in your hand. Man, the biggest thing is hand and eye coordination. So you think about shooting, you know, being able to knock down shots. I was always a solid shooter. Like I developed a three point shot once I got to the league. Mid range, I was always money. You know what I mean? Pull ups, catch and shoot. I can always shoot the ball. Free throws, I was a great free throw shooter when I was younger as well, just because of the hand and eye coordination, being at first base, being a bat catcher, being a pitcher, uh, seeing that little ball behind, you know, when you're in a batter's box. So I think those were the biggest things that really, really helped me uh, once I got to, uh, you know, on the basketball court. And also, uh, you know, just the pound, the pounding and stuff. It wasn't too hard on my joints, my knees and things like that. So uh, I was skipping those AAU tournaments that a lot of kids do. Like I even do it with my team. And I tell the parent, we play too much basketball. Y'all got to do another sport, man, just so you could get those other little uh, attributes that can carry over to basketball. So I think that's the biggest thing with the hand and eye coordination. That's dope. Okay, going into your high school experience and, you know what I'm saying, prep school and all that, you can kind of, you know what I'm saying, take us through that, through that experience. Yeah, I'm going to give you the quick story. So ninth and 10th grade, I went to Washington High School. Um, Anybody know about Washington? Ain't the ain't the best school in LA, LA City School. Uh, you know they they do tracks at that school because the school it was so big. It was so many kids in the area. So you got A, B, and C track. I was on A track, so I was coming from the West Side. We was getting kids from all over the place. So uh, that means you're getting people from different hoods at the same school. So it was it was it was crazy every single day at school. So uh, just being able to to try out for that. I tried out my 10th grade year. Uh, I was ineligible the whole year, but I was ready for baseball. And the game I come back is when we played Craig and uh, the playoffs when I was at Washington with Andre Patterson, Antonio, uh, Antoine Parker, Wayne Chamberlain, and all those guys. And we lost to Craig, BJ Bell, uh, Evan Burns, you know, all, you know, those, those killers that came out of Fairfax. So that was pretty dope. But my dad didn't like the baseball situation. So we went to losing year and I became uh, super cool with the baseball coach. So first day of school, he wanted to introduce me to the basketball coach. And I told him my experience at Washington was so bad, I just came here to play baseball. So first day of school, he asked me to go meet the basketball coach. I ended up meeting him. He invited me to come play pickup. Killed the pickup. This is when I finally started hanging out with Tweety. He was my guy now. Tweety was there. So he was like, bro, you got to play. So that's kind of how I got, you know, when I got to losing, I was playing both sports prep school and all of that this situation. yeah so prep school was weird because i we, you know us being west coast y'all know you you probably knew a little bit more mike being mm -hmm. from the midwest but 
West Coast, that was like foreign, like going to the East Coast, going to boarding schools. Like mm-hmm. I remember telling my mom and dad, like, yo, my AAU coach, Eric Harden, was like, yo, if I go to prep school, I can go to the league. They was like, listen, tell him he's full of it. You ain't going to NBA. And you're not going to prep school. My mom was like, the goal is to go forward, not backwards. So I wish a lot of these parents thought like this. Like, why are you holding your kid back? You always got something ahead, you know, if you need a prep school extra year. So uh, I finally convinced my mom and dad to send me a prep school. Uh, Rafael Chilios, who's uh, the coach at South Kent, uh, did a good job with just selling the whole program. And the biggest thing was just the the school part. Uh, You know, wearing a blazer, wearing a tie, something totally out of my, uh, uh, you know, my atmosphere, just being a LA kid. So that they were sold on that. Uh, just happened to be a young adult and mature. So that's how I got to South Kent. And, you know, we had a great team. And like like my AAU coach said, if you go to prep school, you do well on the East Coast, you're going to be able to go straight out of high school. And I, I did a great job over there, killed it that year, and put myself in position to to make that leap out of high school. So then how difficult was, this, was the decision to come out of high school versus going to college? Because, oh, man. Yeah. That was another story with my mom and dad. I had to convince them on that one. Now they like, no, like, I don't trust it. Uh, you know, we just hear all these stories of, you know, people before you that tried to put their name in the draft out of high school. They didn't get drafted. So they were really, really scared on that. So we had to go get some people we hired because they didn't want me to sign with agent. Back then, if you signed with agent, it was over. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. we just had like a lawyer or somebody that has some contacts that could, you know, reach out to people and just see, get a feel like where I was in the draft. A lot of people were saying, you know, I was in mid, like mid, late first round. Excuse me. So my mom and dad felt a lot more comfortable with that. And they was like, okay, we still need to get the SAT score. And we still need to get that grade point average just in case that falls through. And they say you're a second round pick. You have something to lean on. So it was definitely a tough decision to make that jump. I was all in. You know what I'm saying? I was all in, but my mom and dad just, they, they grew up in a baseball uh, world. They didn't know nothing about no hoop. They were learning on the go just like I was. So uh, it was tough for them to send me off and then it didn't work out and then just dealing with those, um, you know, consequences. I also think that, I mean, that's good parenting too. Like, oh, let's yeah. have A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that was just very important. And I think by them instilling that in you is what made you become the person you are today too. For sure. And then I think what you, what you say was uh, correct. And I think the biggest thing is just having patience too. It's like, man, yeah, you got an opportunity. I think so many people are in a rush to get there instead yeah. of like, you know, they want the microwave results. My mom and dad is like, if you're that good to get there and you can get another year to prove yourself, then it's going to happen for you. So I think that was kind of the mindset. Like, they talking about that means if you keep working, you can really do it. So they just want to be for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk, let's just talk about one more thing, though. Did you actually commit to somewhere, though? Yes. Yes, I did. I committed to DePaul. Uh, Josh Oppenheimer did an amazing job recruiting me. Uh, still my friend to this day. He was just a solid dude. We all knew I wasn't going to to fall. Uh, <laughs> and Reggie Morris, I never forget. I was in a car with him. He was like, "Bro, you're not going to college. Just commit. It'll help Josh out too. It'll help the program out. You know what I mean? Like, make it look good. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, I committed to the Paul. 
And, you know, I, I definitely thought about it. Like, I, I, I remember Q Rich as a Clipper in the, in, at DePaul. My mom is from Chicago. It was a lot of history oh, yeah. why I wanted to go there, too. But uh, it was kind of like, yo, we know you're not going to college, bro. Like, that'd be a great gesture. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of how that came came about. Shout, shout out to Reggie Morris, Fairfax. Yes. Yeah. Now he's at Fairfax. They just won. <laughs> so, yeah, just want to say that. Shout out. Yes, sir. <laughs> So being that being that two sport athlete that you were, at what point did you realize that you were good enough to go pro for the NBA? And and when you realized that, what did that process become for you to start preparing for that? See, that was crazy because my mom and dad was pissed that I was trying to give it up. So I was playing baseball senior, junior and senior year. I was still playing. I was still one of the best players in the area. I had scouts at the game. And the, and what happened was I had to tell him. The dude sat there and was like, yo, you got to put your eggs all in one basket. Get closer and closer to the baseball draft. People want to know what you're going to do. And right there on the spot, it's like, I'm, I'm playing basketball. This is my senior high school. And my mom and dad was pissed. They're like, dude, you don't make no decisions without us. You're supposed to talk to us first, and then we make a decision as a family. And I made that decision right there, and I just knew that I had a better opportunity. I got the Yukons. I got the... Uh, Henry Bibby coming to my baseball games, recruiting me. I got all these different schools coming, uh, Billy Donovan coming to the school. So I'm like, dude, I got a chance. Like, I'm cool on baseball. I'm the, it's only, I'm the only African-American on the team. I'm six seven at this time. I'm like, dude, I'm ready to do something cool where all my friends are doing. Like, this, it, it really didn't feel cool to me, if that makes sense. I thought I was just like, you know, I thought I'd be in the, in the gym, you know, with the homies. So eventually you're picked 19th overall in the 2004 draft. Talk about kind of what your draft process was like and then what draft night for you was like personally. Yeah, so the, the draft process was awesome, but it was exhausting at the same time because the person that was doing all the workout scheduling for me who wasn't an agent because I couldn't sign an agent had me going from the West Coast to the East Coast to the Midwest, back to the West, to the East Coast. So you know, being 18, like, I didn't see nothing wrong with it. But, you know, I talked to Sonny, who, Sonny Vaccaro, who really helped the family help make decisions and just see the, you know, the, the big picture and things. He was like, dude, who is doing these scheduling? He was like, they got you going all over the place. You're supposed to hit every team like this, and, you know, work your way back. Uh, you flying all over the place. Like, how are you able to do this? So I'm like, dude, I'm young. Like, I'm excited. I got an opportunity to showcase my talent. In front of all these guys, I never thought of that. Like, yeah, I am flying crazy, right? So it, it was cool. I did 23 workouts. Three of those was with Boston, and three of those was with Miami. And, you know, on the draft board, the mock drafts, you used to always say I was going to go to Boston. But then um, when I did the third workout for Miami, I'm like, oh, why they keep making me come work out? And we all know, I'm, I'm sure both of y'all know, that's the toughest workout in the whole NBA. Can't Miami. No, you can't even drink no water. You can't drink no water, bro. Can't and drink I did no that water. three times. Three times. I, I, so. I heard the Boston one is tough, too. So I feel like you went yeah, six because I heard Boston's yeah. real tough, too. Oh, Boston exactly. is tough, too. They used to make you do that, that in, in your workout with that, them runs. Yeah. See how many wall touches or lines you can get. So, yeah, Boston was tough, too. Yeah, dang. So I did, I did three workouts with them, and that's kind of how I was like, okay, I got a little – better feel who's going to pick me. But the whole process was pretty dope, man. Just meeting all these different people. And, you know, with no social media, you hear about guys in a newspaper. Or, yeah. you know, you hear word of mouth. Craig might have went to nationals and talked about, like, for instance, Sean Livingston. I just kept hearing about Sean Livingston. I finally, I'm like, oh, this is Sean Livingston? This dude, my height, a point guard? 
So that was more cool. Me being a baseball dude, me being so fresh and so green to the to the circuit, I was meeting all these people that I'd been hearing about. Playing with the Miami Heat to start your career. Man. A young D Wade. <laughs> that that was fun, man. Just being able to 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 go to Miami right out of high school. Uh, go to a, a first-class organization. We all know Pat Riley, one of the best to ever do it. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, able to watch him, you know, with the Showtime Lakers. So I always admired Pat Riley and his his swag and his demeanor on the sideline. So when I got there, I was just like, yo, I'm really about to be here, and Pat Riley is like the GM president. Like, I'm going to be seeing this dude. Uh, I'm playing with D-Way. Like, this is crazy. And I never forget my agent right before they called my name, popping out my my mom's kitchen like, "Yo, be right, Miami want to know if you can handle Miami." I was like, "Not." I'm like, "Yeah." Like, what do you mean? So I'm like, "Yeah." They picked me first day I get to Miami. I'm with my mom and dad for my press conference, and I'm looking around like, "This is why they called and asked if I was ready for Miami. This is some whole other stuff. Just the different women, the cars, the flashy lifestyle, like." It was a lot, you know, going, being uh, 18, going to Miami and just seeing all that stuff. I was like, yo, this is wild. I'm like, I'm about to live here, though? I'm all in. <laughs> but that that was super dope. And then having D-Wade take me under my wing was even more fire. Somebody that DeLon was a big fan of. I, I didn't even really know much about D-Wade. Like I said, I was a baseball player. I didn't know nobody but the Dukes and the USC's or the Yukons. I didn't know nothing about Marquette. But DeLon was a big uh, D-Wade fan, i never forget when they drafted me. He was like, you can't wear number three no more. I'm like, what? Yes, I can. He's like, no, they got Dwayne Wade. I'm like, bro, I don't even know who that is. But I learned quick who he was. And he was a big brother from day one, man. <laughs> What's up, dude? Let's go into, like, your first two seasons. How was it? Because I know there was, like, some growth, um, oh, yeah. you know what I'm saying, early on. Uh, the first year, it was, you know, it was all good. Uh, they had Karan Butler. They had Lamar Odom. Um, I think Eddie Jones was there. So they had kind of more of a younger core. So when they drafted me, that's where they saw me. They saw me going out there playing, getting some minutes. And then two weeks, three weeks into the season, they trade for Shaq. Now my whole role changed. Now it's like player development. We're going to develop you. You're not ready to, to help us win right now. And I used to always ask Keith Atkins, who I used to work closely with, with the player development and somebody that I'm so thankful for because we used to bump heads all the time just because he wanted me to be great. And I didn't see that as an as a 18, 19-year-old. But I used to ask him, like, bro, why y'all draft me if I'm not playing? Like, I didn't get it. I'm like, y'all drafted me in the first round, 19. I'm making cool money. <laughs> why I'm not playing? He was like, bro, he was like, to be real with you, we drafted you because of potential. You're not ready to play. And that kind of, like, I don't want to say humbled me because I was always, you know, pretty chill. I just wanted to know why I wasn't playing. He kept it so real. He was like, bro, you got to put the work in. These dudes are vets. They put the work in. They put the time in. I can barely get you here at 830 and get everything out of you. You know what I mean? So he kind of, like, showed me and told me the real. And then I, I, I took that with a grain of salt. And every day I went in there and worked. And then, um, you know, that second year, I played a little bit more. And we end up winning the championship. First year, we go to Eastern Conference Finals. Second year, we end up winning the championship. I had the opportunity to see these great vets that I've been watching since a kid work and put the time in. And that mess rubbed off on me, being a leader, how you carry yourself, all that little, all those little things. So 
uh, those were my first two years in a nutshell, man. I didn't really play much, but I was able to learn from some of the best. I know you um, You kind of touched on it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that mental, uh, that aspect of those first two years. Can you kind of like go into that just a little bit more? Oh, yeah. Um, just, you know what I'm saying? Like coming from coming from being drafted in high school and always being a, you know what I'm saying, the top dog and then like you on the bench, like how do you like handle that mentally being young, you know what I'm saying, thinking like, you know what I'm saying, everything is good and then really, really understanding like, okay, this is a business, like I really gotta, you know what I'm saying, do what I'm supposed to do. No, 100%, that's a great question, Mike. Uh, I think the biggest thing with that was having that great circle. I had mom, dad, that was always solid. I had coach Keith Atkins, I had D-Wade, and I had people that wanted to see me win and people that understood. And, and Pat Riley, I used to go to his office once a week to have a meeting just to see what you just asked me, where my mind was. How am I adjusting to the, the NBA life? So he would, he didn't have to do that. He could have been, you know, just another dude. He had to check on me. So um, I think the biggest advice I ever got was wait your turn. Wait your time. Your time gonna come. Your time gonna come. And I used to be like, man, that's BS. I've been over here. I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to go. But everybody's just like, bro, wait your time. And, you know, I, I, I listened to that because I was always one of those, I'm going to listen to what you got to say. So uh, end up waiting my time, uh, end up uh, staying in the gym, surrounding myself with people that want to see me win. Because you know how it is. Both of y'all know. They be your family, friends, like, oh, when you got the ball in the corner, why you didn't do this? Why you didn't do that? They don't understand it's a role you got to play. Then I was a 3 and D guy. They want me to get in my bag. And it's like, no. Coach need me to be the facilitator, the defender, and knockdown shooter. Yeah. D-Wade is the one that gets to get in his back. I can't do that. So just having those type of people that saw, you know, saw the, saw the vision and wasn't on me like, bro, when you get in the game, you need to do this. You know what I'm saying? So I think those people really helped me as far as the mentally and just, you know, being, becoming a pro. Like things that I didn't get to learn, get to learn in, high, in uh, college. So you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, winning that championship on that 2016. You're the youngest player on the roster at that point. How did that kind of affect you and your career moving forward? Like, what did that kind of whole process teach you? Man, the biggest thing is the leadership. I was able to see us, you know, be on a roller coaster year, not finish where we wanted to, and then see a lot of adversity. Remember, you got D-Wade and, and GP going at it. You got us down 0-2 in the finals. So that showed me leadership. That showed me when... Things aren't going our way. <clears throat> Who's going to step up? Who's going to be that guy that, that get everybody together when a team is on a 12 to nothing run and we got to fight back? You know what I mean? When your back is against the wall, uh, not to sound too cliche, but that that was real. Seeing Alonzo Mourning conduct himself in those huddles and get guys to come together. C.D. Wade, uh, tell the media, I'm not going out like that and score 40 to bring us back. So I think the leadership was the number one thing. Um I think number two would just be just the will to fight. And we all know being an NBA player is millions and billions of kids around the world trying to play basketball and they want your job. So it's like every single day we got to be on our A game. If we have a few bad days, they're going to just replace you. So I think that kind of helped me moving forward too. So when I went to other teams, they wanted to know about the heat culture. They wanted to know how I was to win a championship. And they expected me to carry myself like a winner, like a leader. So that kind of helped me 
even get extra years in my league. I mean, the league, like, hey, man, we need you to, you know, that Miami stuff. It always resorted back to Miami wherever I went. How y'all do it in Miami? Because they, they set the standard. They were one of those organizations. So that helped me, you know, once I got older in my career. Yeah, you knew you was a champion. So you was bringing that that pedigree. You knew what it took. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and it was all recycled words. I'm like, don't have said this in this moment. <laughs> but that's dope that you can like, it's almost like freezing time because you see it happening and like, oh, yeah. I'm implementing myself right here. No, for sure. I think one cool thing they did when we was in Portland, Terry Stotts, he had me bring my ring in. I'm in there telling him, you know, well, you know, when we were down 0-2, I remember D-Wayne coming in the huddle saying, this is a BS. So, you know, just using me to hype the team up. Like, that was always cool when they always asked me, oh, how was it? Some people, you know, when you in it, you're like, oh, he asked him this. He didn't even play. But, you know, I'm there in the practices. Like, you know, I'm grinding. Like, I'm there when. Yeah, so, yeah. So, people want to know, like, how, what does it take to be a champion? So, to have the opportunity to explain that and, and tell people what I saw, and that in those moments is always fire. Plus, celebrating a ring in Miami can't be too bad either, right? Oh my God! But I was thirsty. I was the trying first to get one. To LA. <laughs> hey, it was the first one. I was there for one day after the parade, and I'm like, I'm gone. I went to LA. I like, I can get back to the people, man. <laughs> I've been here way too long. <laughs> so after your time in Miami, you end up signing with Golden State. What made you pick Golden State? Well, the crazy thing is Golden State used to always come on the last game. This being a West Coast game, they used to come on all the time. So after my game in Miami, I used to always catch like the second quarter on up. So I get to see BD, Matt Barnes, Stack Jack, all these dudes, Monte Ellis. So I used to love how they played. I used to be like, boy, if I played in Golden State and they play up and down like this, Don Nelson, oh, I'd be killer. So, you know, when it came for free agency, you know, I had a few teams reach out and go to state was one. Don Nelson was still the coach. So I'm like, man, I've been watching him. Every time I come home, you know, I go watch league pass. They were always on. I used to love how shiny the floor used to look. It used to look like it was, it was on the stage uh, back then. So I'm like, dude, I, I want to play there. So when they called me, it was like a no-brainer. Uh, it made sense. They wouldn't be able to be a starter. Uh, after I signed, I found out Don Nelson was stepping down. I was kind of bummed about that. But it was all good. Like, I was closer to home. And I was able to spread my wings. Like, I knew this was my opportunity because for all those years, I was D-Way little homie. You know what I'm saying? So I was able to move on and, and do me and create a, a name for myself. So that's kind of came what came into the picture of me signing with uh, Golden State is just watching them, you know, after my games and seeing the style of play. And, yeah, man, you had, like, a big, big year. Um, right. <laughs> not, like so you really had a killer year. You were mm -hmm. um I think up for most improved. Uh, yeah. you did the three point contest, um, you broke the franchise three point record at the time. I mean, you really had an incredible year. Let's just talk about that because we just talked about how you know you felt like you always wanted to be a part of the culture, and now that you're a part of the culture and you're in there, how is that mindset? Man, that was different, man. I had a great summer. That's when we was going to the hacks. I uh, was getting some great hooping that whole summer. So I was super motivated. Uh, I knew um, the LeBron situation was going to happen. So I'm like, dude, like, I got to go show these dudes. Like, I'm here. I got to show them, like, man, I can, I can hoop. Uh, so I think just my preparation towards that season 
was just different, man. Just locked in yeah. uh, two or three times a day. I was with Wasserman at the time. So I go with uh, Rob at Rob McLean at, um, at St. Monica. Then I go to the Hacks and Hoop. Then I go lift, lift with uh, Chris Gettleberg. Uh, so, you know, it was just, I was just working, working, yeah. working, putting a lot of time into it just so I could have a great season. And that's what happened. You know, I, I got there. They was like, you're going to be a starter. We want you to play. Not none of that. They, uh, Keith Smart used to always make none of that Miami stuff. We want you to new D right. So that was always cool. He used to motivate me all the time uh, to go out there and kill. But that's that, that was part of why I had a great year, man. Just the preparation. Uh, it was a perfect fit for me. Playing with guys like Monte Ellis, Steph Curry, David Lee. Those guys were all great one-on-one players. So that means they demanded double teams. They demanded extra bodies. I used to find myself around the perimeter wide open. So I just, you know, catch and shoot, knock things down. So that's kind of how, you know, the success came, man. It was just I felt so good and the fit was perfect. Being able to, like, watch the passing of the torch from, like, Monte Ellis to Steph Curry. Um, and then just seeing the game change, you know what I'm saying? To the flow of, you know, heavy three point shots. Like you said, like you was just coming from, you know, a situation in Miami to where Shaq come there. Basketball is different. Everything is going through the post. Exactly. That's just how the, the structure of the game was a true point guard. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just how the structure of the game was. So like, can you like walk us through like that transition and how how was that seeing Steph Curry, you know what I'm saying, get that short torch from Monte Ellis? Yeah, man, it was dope because you know Monte came out. He said some comments uh, when they drafted him um, mm-hmm. about them their size and just being too small. And I think he kind of jumped the gun and he had, he had attested this too and be like, yo, I was completely wrong. For sure. Uh, so you know, just having step there and finally getting eyes on him and how he embraced them. So once I got there, it was Steph's second year when I got there. So just their relationship, it wasn't nothing, you know, no no riffraff against them. They was like, yo, this is us. Bro. It's our team. Hey, we got to bring it every night. And just the work ethic. Uh, to see Steph Curry in the gym. We used to be like, bro, you need to go home. Like, get some rest. He just be in the gym, being there, lifting, uh, shooting. It's game day. And it's like, dude, like, you got to, you're going to burn yourself out. But looking back at it now, almost 11 years ago, it's like, dude, he was creating himself. Who he is, who we see, that's what he was doing, man. He was putting the time in. He was putting the work in. Behind closed doors when nobody was seeing him. And even his teammates thought he was tripping. He knew. He had his mindset. And that's that Mamba mentality. It's bigger than just basketball. It's just being locked in, putting his work in, uh, and, and just having them dog days that we all know about that we don't want to do it, but we got to. Did you ever expect him to be as good as he is, like the way he changed the game of basketball? Not even close. I knew he'd be a good player. Like, he was a damn good player with us. I didn't think he was going to be who he is today. But like I just mentioned, it all makes sense because he put the time and the work in. We all know Steph is the the stand-up guy. Like, you know what I mean? Nobody got nothing bad to say say about Steph. And he respects the game. But, you know, he also has fun with the game. So to see him totally change the game and people be so upset with him. It's, it's pretty funny to me because I just know what type of guy he is. He's a, a cool dude. It's just like, dang, dude, I, I worked on my game. I started in close and I worked my way back. That's how it happened. That I, simple. 
I was a I was a I was one of those people at the like the early stages because I was just such a fan of Monte Ellis. Like I just oh yeah, him. like he was so quick. I was quick. Like he could yeah. shoot. He could he could do everything. Me, y'all had a lot. Y'all had was, a lot. Yeah, like, similarities. Yeah, he was tough. So like to see how that kind of shook out, I was kind of like mad at Steph Curry yeah. at first. Like man, I ain't rocking with that. But then <laughs> just seeing like I'm like man, he got something that. We ain't never seen before, so real, man. it was like I had to let that go real quick. But I just hate to see. I felt like Monte still could be effective in the league to this day. No, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, man, one of them timeless dudes, one of the dudes that mastered that mid range. Like you just mentioned, the speed, the athleticism, the competitiveness. That's why y'all two got a lot in y'all. Like I didn't seen both of you guys compete. And it's just like, no matter how I feel, what's nagging me, what's hurting, we gonna, we getting it. You know what I'm saying? So that underdog, underdog mentality. You know what I'm saying? Craig the same way. So that's how Monte was, bro. He used to look at me, I roll an ankle or something. He'd be like, you playing tonight? I'm like, man, I'm gonna see. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I see how he look at me. Like, oh no, I gotta get it together. My boy need me out here. <laughs> but he was a dog, man. Unfortunate stuff's out for the rest of the year, but hoping he can come back stronger next year. That's yeah, crazy. That's Wait, for the whole playoffs, too? They said he was up for the regular season, so they didn't really specify about the playoffs. I'm sure they'll reevaluate. That sucks, man. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, I just found that out right before the show. Where we at with it? Yeah, I was on the golf course, if y'all could tell. Oh, yeah. Well, we <laughs> yeah, I see, a tiger, I see a Tiger Woods swag. Hey, you know what I'm saying? I got to get in. I got to find something else to be competitive at. <laughs> <laughs> so after um, – playing with the 76ers and the Trailblazers. Talk about uh, the China experience. Ooh, yeah, I was different. That was definitely different, man. It was it was definitely a culture shock. Yeah. Uh, just being so far away from my, my family, man. Uh, the dope thing, I used to be with Pete for three years. I used to be with Li Ning for four years. So that was seven years, seven, you know what I mean? That was seven strong years with just that connection in China. So. I did have some type of experience being there, like, you know, for the tours with the shoes and just promoting stuff. So I used to take my family there all the time. But it was a little bit different going there, living there, playing there. Uh, just, you know, the language uh, and then just the game. They play the game different. You know, they want to see the imports go put up big numbers. You know what I mean? Like, we don't care. We need you to score 40, 50, 60. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we got to win. So it's a lot, you know, it's a lot on you. Uh, so I, I think just that experience was pr pretty dope because I was with the leaning company when I was there. I felt like it um, gave me a different audience to reach as far as the things I was doing off the court because I had a clothing line at the time. So I was able to meet new people uh, in those lanes, meet people in the leaning. So the, the off the court was amazing. On the court was, was definitely tough and a, a big adjustment coming from the league. Uh, 11 and a half years I'm in the lead and I just go here and play totally different rules, uh, shorter three-point lines. I felt like I was in high school again, practice way harder. So it was just a, a huge adjustment, but I was lucky enough that I didn't do the college four years where I had those four years on the back end, you know, so ended up working out. I had a good time, but it was definitely tough. Every day was a different challenge in China. All right, now coming back to the heat, and then headed back overseas, um, but this time in Europe, and that's a whole total different 
experience in itself. I played in China and I played in Europe. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, so I know that, but kind of like walk us through like that mental process. Yeah. So going back to Miami, you know, I kind of like did what I exactly what the goal I said. I was like, I'm going to go to China. Then after this season, I should be able to get on. So being able to go back to Miami, uh, get an opportunity there. It was great. We got to the second round of the playoffs. I had an opportunity to play in the playoffs against my little brother. So they made that happen. Like, you know, I thought, you know, as soon as he gets to the lead, I go to China. I'm like, dude, it's not supposed to work like this. It was yeah. supposed to be me playing against each other, me, you know, flagger fouling, you know what I'm saying? We guard him. <laughs> That's how I looked at it and envisioned the whole thing. So just to have an opportunity to share the court with him one time, that was pretty dope. But then that summer, getting all this interest from, from uh, Europe, I'm like, dude, the money good. Mm-hmm. I kind of know what to expect because of Bobby Brown, uh, Bottoms, uh, Pooh Jetter. They didn't tell me everything, all the, 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 the good and the bad and the ugly. So I kind of got a, a, you know, a, a, a mind. It was different from China. I didn't know nothing. So when I got there, you know, it was just, it was tough, man. The practice, the travel. Uh, just the, the facilities aren't the same like the NBA uh, when it came to recovery. It was just so many things that I had to do on my own and make me independent and kind of learn how to be a trainer and, and do things and cure stuff on my own because we didn't have the resources sometimes. You know what I mean? Uh, luckily enough, I went to Germany, so we were seeing the best doctors. But some of the stuff they were kind of like, and y'all, you guys noticed, they kind of like 10 years behind us when it comes to like the sports medicine side and recovery. So, you know, I had to kind of do things on my own, but it was a great experience. The, cult, the culture of basketball there, the fan base, the games, all that mess was off the chain, man. That kind of gave me that college experience that I missed on a professional level. So I had a great time, you know, in that first year in Germany uh, playing for Bamberg, who had a lot of history of winning championships. So I got that, I got that bar of that pressure. Every game matters here. We win championships here. Anything else is, is a bust. So just being able to compete at a high level every single night, getting people best shot, I had so much fun with that. Now, after overseas, you know, and obviously hoping you made some transitions after. Yeah. Let's talk about um, your mental approach to that within broadcasting and, you know, doing some coaching and stuff like that. Man, it was super dope because that last year, man, I, I kind of knew. Like, I love the game of basketball, but I wasn't like, this is all all I got. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to build so many great relationships, uh, network with so many great people, and a lot of things I was interested in. So um, once I retired, when I when I knew it was over, when I couldn't move them puppies like I, I used to, and you know what I mean? I just like, hey, it's over. And that's when I kind of started writing stuff out, like when I get back. I kind of, I had a, I just found this notebook not too long ago. It was seven years ago, the line in the seven year in the league. So it was five years ago. I wrote in this notebook, 10 things I want to get accomplished when I get, get home. And one of them was AAU. I was kind of trying to be a sports agent. Uh, that kind of didn't happen because of the pandemic. And thank God it didn't happen because that opened up other doors. So I wrote down a bunch of things to transition to once I got home. I knew I was going home soon. I was like, when I get home, I'm going, I'm hitting the ground run. I'm going to be making calls. I'm going to do this and that. And that's what I did. And then the pandemic happened. So I played one tournament with my AAU team. I, I went to one or two DeLon games. And then everything shut down. So I'm like, dang, I just retired. It was probably 
I probably say like three months after I retired. I'm like, dang, I'm in the house. Like, so um, once they figured out the season and stuff, Bob Myers reached out to me like, yo, NBC Sports looking for someone to, uh, you know, be an analyst. You got any interest? And without even thinking, I was like, yeah, I do it. He was like, you sure? Because most people know, like, you know, I'm super cool. I'm, I don't talk much. Amongst my friends, I'm going to talk more. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. He's like, all right, they're going to call you. So I waited a few weeks. They called me. And that just go to show you those relationships take you a long way, man. And not burning bridges with people. Uh, always, you know, just being respectful. Because when people need somebody, they're going to think of you. You know what I'm saying? Especially when they know you're going to be cool. You're not going to cause no problems. So that's kind of how, how that happened. I'm loving it. Uh, it's getting me to be a little more talkative. Uh, I know my answer's a little bit longer now because now I've been doing this for two years. So it's, it's becoming like, you know, that basketball, like riding a bike, it's becoming easy for me because I'm talking about something I uh, once did and loved at, at, at the same time. All right. You got to bear with me here a little bit. I'm working on this uh, this this new section, trying to get, okay. uh, not trying to, but, um, you know, this segment, I want to do like a... Uh, Mike's mental health moment. Okay. Um, kind of want to uh, talk about, you know, the era we from, it was like only like a mental toughness type of mindset. Right. Right. You know what I'm and it was like a silence to, you know, your emotions, to your feelings and just the makeup of, you know what I'm saying? What being a man is just about life outside the court versus you know, this new, you have a voice, the athlete, you know what I'm saying? Being like a, a pillar in a community and um, just this mental health awareness error for our culture. Right. Um, like what's something that along your journey, you kind of wish that you was able to tap into mentally that you didn't have, like you got that in your bag now that you wish you kind of could have, you know what I'm saying? Or you wish you knew that yeah. you out along your, you know what I'm saying? Along your journey. Man, that's a great question, Mike. And I think the biggest thing is just growing up in the African American, African American community, we get, you know, it's called bullying now, but then it was called bagged on. You yeah. know what I'm saying? That, those are jokes. So asking for help, uh, telling people you, your feelings, expressing yourself, uh, speaking up for yourself. Like, that was like, yo, you trying to be, uh, you know, teacher's pet. Yo, ain't nothing wrong with you. Like, you know what I mean? It was like, it's just part of, that was part of our culture. We were afraid to express how we felt. So we bottled all that stuff up. And that makes people, you know, get addicted to drugs, uh, alcoholic, uh, suicidal, just all these things that, you know, people shouldn't have to go through if they had the resources and, had the circle around them be like, yo, bro, it's okay. Explain to me what's going on. Let me see if I can help you. Or if I can't help you, let's find the proper help for you. So I think that probably be the biggest thing is just uh, not being so fearful, if even that's the word, being in fear to explain myself, express myself, and really use my platform. Because I think that era and those eras, because I came up in three different eras, the OG, OGs, sure. my era, and now this era. So uh, I just think just having um, opportunity to tell people how I felt and not worry about what people had to say. Now these young fellas, 
they got all they brave man because they gonna let people know like yo i'm not right i need help and it's a lot of us out here that's not right and it's okay to tell somebody and talk to somebody to help you out so i think that's the biggest thing because we used to always come up with these cliche things oh no you know uh, we were kind of trained to say the same thing over and over. You know what yep. I'm saying? So mm-hmm. now people are expressing it. Draymond, you got Kevin Love, you got all these dudes, LeBron James, that don't have a problem with expressing how they feel and how they boys behind them feel. So I think that that probably be the one thing I wish I was able to do uh, better is just kind of express myself and, and not be afraid of what people thought. Appreciate you for that, bro. Like, that's yeah, no problem. Nice. Like that's 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 gonna be my little thing, and it was my first time trying it out, and that's what I was intending to, you yeah. know, what I'm saying, invoke about you. So I appreciate you. Uh, hop into the next. We hopping into the next one. Yes, sir. So this segment is a, is a called Rhino's Vision, and this okay. I like to be very detailed in your favorite play, in which okay. I want you to explain to the viewers the situation of the play, how the play was drawn up, whether if it was a uh, a timeout situation or it was in the transition flow but what was your favorite play and your favorite moment and and just the detail of the play ah oh man my favorite plays used to always just be like the lobs i used to catch um i can't really pinpoint one because me and d way used to have a bunch and then um you know when i was with steph we used to used to throw a bunch of lobs but it'll probably have to be the one where i caught against uh, milwaukee and i kind of like did a a reverse dunk. He threw it from the other free throw line, and I reversed it. You know why I did it? I just, you know, when you're in the air, you just do do things. So that'll probably be my favorite play, just the guts that Steph had to throw that ball that far and me to just, you know, kind of flush it. Uh, so that, that'll probably be the play. It was just one of those broken plays we got to steal. It was probably like a long shot that started a break. We got to steal. He threw it ahead, uh, and, and I boofed it backwards. So that, that was pretty fire to me. Yeah, so can you just elaborate on, like, that type of chemistry and connection of him, like, trusting you in these moments or D-Wade trusting you in those situations? Because, like, what people don't understand is, like, that take a lot of energy, like, especially in the game, you know? So for you, for somebody to be able to trust you to be like, hey, I know he can go get that in this moment in time. Yeah, with Steph, it was just like, hey, man, if you run and you run hard, I'm going to make sure I hit you every time especially in transition, those transition threes, but the eye contact, me connecting with him and be like, hey, throw that thing up. You know the, yes. the knob, especially when you want it bad, you like. <laughs> so I used, to be on, I used to be heavy on that with Steph. Like, I know you see me. And then yeah. with D-Wade, bro, this is the funniest thing because D-Wade used to get so mad at me. I was like, oh, okay. You don't want passing the ball? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut every time. You see me. So it's going to make you look bad if you don't throw it to me. And D-Way used to be like, hey, bro, you can't cut every time. I'm like, bro, but you saw me, though. You see me. <laughs> so that that's how I used to do D-Wade. I used to cut every single time he drives to the basket. And he used to be pissed. Like, bro, you can't cut every time. I'm like, all right, well, I know you see me, though. So I'll be like, yo, just throw it up. So that's kind of how it started with me and D-Wade. And I'm like, all right, bro, I got you. Anytime my man leave me and he try to step on for you, I'm just going to go back door. So that's kind of how that chemistry with me and D-Wade uh, – uh, started because uh, I was cutting every single time he dropped the ball. <laughs> he used to be hot. <laughs> hey, what's so would you cut when you be in a drive or like in the mode to shoot or something? Exactly. So my man, 
If if he cut and he the man see me, what he gonna do? He right in the way. Uh, like, okay, you saw me, so I know it worked. <laughs> hilarious. That's it. Hilarious. <laughs> All right, we have this next segment called Give a Dog a Bone. It's just a bunch of rapid-fire questions. Just okay. answer as fast as you can, starting with this. This is the Underdogs Podcast. We got to know what your favorite dog breed is. Favorite dog breed? What do I like? I like Labradors. Okay. Favorite musical artist? That would be Drake. Favorite shoe? Uh, that would be Jordan 1's. I can go with that. Favorite NBA teammate? Favorite NBA teammate, D-Wade. Who is your role model in life and in basketball? Role model in life would be my dad, my mom and dad. And in basketball, it had to be Kobe Bryant. Okay. Favorite city to play in, NBA or overseas? Miami. (laughs) Aside from basketball, what's your favorite hobby? Favorite hobby? Dang designing clothing designing clothes good to know hardest player to guard Kobe Bryant best defender versus you Tony Allen I feel like someone else said him too no hey I don't know last week I feel like hey listen my 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 mom my wife told me he's like boy that Tony Allen used to be locking your ass up So my wife saying that, that's what I'm rolling with. Like, give you a hard time. CA <laughs> a dog dog. For sure. What was your least favorite stadium to play in? Uh, Arco Arena. That was a dunk. Okay. Favorite game you remember playing in? Favorite game? Oh, when we, uh, us and the Magic, we broke three-point record for a single game. I think we made 27. Total, both teams. Yeah, that's now that's every night. For real. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mike and Craig are trying to culture me by giving me movie recommendations. So I got to know what is your favorite movie? Uh, Harlem Nights. Okay. <laughs> you ain't seen that. It have you, George? Definitely not. Oh, <laughs> you tripping? Yeah, All the comedians in there. Everybody. Yeah, everybody. In there. All right, we're adding that to the list. Add that to the list. What is something you wish fans knew or understood better? About me or the game? Take that how you will, whether it's about you or it's about like being oh, a pro I got athlete. a great one. I got a great one. Nobody cares about your fantasy teams. <laughs> They're not trying to play boo-boo on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> They're not oh, trying man. to play week on purpose. Nobody cares about your fantasy teams, man. Okay, something I've always wanted to know though is like, do, 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 do athletes have their own fantasy teams that they play? And, and like, the, like, no, how does that work? no, Hell no, <laughs> no. In the NFL, yes. I was gonna say in the NFL, like that's the big one. Got yeah, it. nobody's playing NBA fantasy. Okay. <laughs> no way. Who is your MVP of this season? MVP of this season? Ooh, I'm gonna have to go. Jokic. Okay. You didn't say Embiid, so I'm happy. Yeah. Who is your favorite current player? Hey, favorite, current, favorite current? Uh, I'm going to have to go with DeLon and KD. I like – I don't really got no favorite. And Steph, them three. I love watching them three play. Okay. Who's your favorite all-time player? Michael Jordan. 
All right. And then this one, um, it's kind of a two-parter one. Do you have any summer plans this year? Summer plans? Uh, I'll be coaching my 14U team. I mean, what would you think about playing in the big three this summer? Oh, no. See, these knees don't work how they used to. <laughs> you see what I got on? This is the only attire I play in right here. Polo <laughs> and a golf hat. So I just listen. Polo, I want to play. I want to play for for sure. But my only thing is, I'm not trying to nurse no knees and Achilles at this age, bro. So I just kindly don't want to play. Yeah, you got you got to let people know, especially the ones that aren't athletes. How hard is it to like manage injuries like that? Yeah, especially at this lady. You know, I'm 36, man. I don't. You don't heal four to six weeks no more. That must take a whole year. So that that's the only thing I think about. That's just my opinion on it. All right. Mm-hmm. What is your funniest NBA moment? My funniest NBA moment? Dang, it's so many. I w- I'm going to go with, with me, though. When uh, my first game back after a knee injury, I missed maybe, what, eight months? And I got in the game. It was some garbage minutes. And I got across half court. I was about to get trapped. I threw the ball backwards. And that shit was backcourt. <laughs> Giannis has them said, damn, D-Ray, I know you've been out, but you can't forget the rules. <laughs> he told me, hey, man, you can't forget the rules. I know you've been out eight months, so how you forget the how rules? How do you forget the rules? <laughs> hey, bro. <for real. laughs> I threw that shit backcourt, bro. <laughs> that is not it, bro. That was all bad. I, was, I feel bad. <laughs> Oh, oh, hey, yeah, disrespected the game. Oh man, that was too funny, bro. Uh, Hey, because it was just like such a true moment. You done this, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is true. He said, Bro, I know you've been out, but you can't forget the rules. (laughs) That is hilarious, man. That's a good one, bro. That's a real good one. Appreciate right. it, man. We will end this episode off as we do every week. What is the biggest lesson you learned throughout your entire journey? Man, that's a great question. The biggest thing I learned in my journey, run your own race. Don't watch other people. Run your own race. Uh, stay humble. And be a workaholic, man. So I, I think those are the three things, man. That's what you see uh, the most success. When guys run their own race, don't be looking at everybody else. Run your own marathon. Because just because he's doing it now don't mean you ain't going to do it in the future if you keep working. So I think that's the biggest thing. Run your own race. That's awesome. I like it. We've had 10 episodes, and every single one we've had a different answer for that. So that's, that's perfect. Oh, that's fire. Okay. That's, that's going to do it for episode 10 of the underdogs podcast thank you guys so much for tuning in watching listening make sure you hit that subscribe button down below i'll link all of Darrell's social media profiles down below as well so make sure you give him a follow and if he wants to us to promote anything we'll put it down there below as well